you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem to set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. This is the word of the Lord. Who remembers the old family favourite, The Lion King? If you've seen that uh, great movie, you'll know that the evil lion, Uncle Scar, who wants to usurp the place and become king, plots to kill the heir to the throne, little Simba, the lion cub. Scar craftily speaks to Simba about this intriguing, dangerous place called the Elephant Graveyard. The one place that Simba's father, Mustafa, has commanded him never to go. And in the movie, and sorry if I'm spoiling this plotline for you, Simba hesitates, deliberates, and then deliberately chooses to disobey his father. He goes to the elephant graveyard, and it's there when he is most vulnerable, most alone, that Scar's evil henchmen, the hyenas, and then Scar himself close in for the kill. Now, this is a story which resonates to some extent with each of us, I think. We know 
We know what it is to put ourselves into the way of temptation. We know what it is to, to know what is right and to know what is wrong and then to deliberately choose the wrong. To deliberately choose to disobey our Father in heaven. And so often we give in to temptation, we go to a place that we should never have gone and we discover when we get there only misery and pain, grief and darkness. But I made it sound by explaining that in those terms, that it was a little bit like a level playing field. As if we had the freedom to choose the, the, the right from the wrong with, with no influences either way, no Uncle Scar to whisper dark thoughts into our ears and to tempt us. But the Bible tells us that it's not a level playing field, it's much more like a battlefield. Your father, the good king in heaven, calls us to good choices as we walk with him, but we have, the, we have a ferocious enemy who disputes his will, who whispers to us and who calls us to turn our backs on God and to follow him instead. Who is this ferocious enemy? This ferocious enemy is, of course, the devil. Now, not the, the demon that uh, unfortunately vanquished uh, a football team close to many of our hearts on Friday night with his pointed fork and his horns. But this enemy is the great Lucifer, a dark supernatural being of mighty powerful mighty power, the, the greatest of the angels which God creator, created, the inquisitor, Satan, the accuser of the brethren, the tempter, the one who Jesus said comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Long, long in the game of temptation, subtle, mighty in power and malice. His intent is always to bait the hook of temptation to float it invitingly in front of us and then to count on his subtlety and the pressures of the world and our own fleshly desire to get us to bite. The human story, your story, my story, our story is one of capitulation to temptation. Time and again, we've taken the bait Time and again, we have, like Simba, chosen to disobey our father from the, the garden of paradise where Adam took the bait and he chose in doing that to damn us and to damn our world through it to the wilderness of Sinai. In the book of Exodus, where we've seen time and time again, the people of God saved by God, yet they take the bait of the devil. They complain and they doubt and they disobey. And in the end, they find themselves worshipping before a golden calf. This uh, seems to be what we call in the army, asymmetric warfare. Where one power greatly outmatches the other. So we are greatly outmatched by our enemy. And so we failed. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, says the Scripture, and have wrought a world of misery and pain on ourselves and on each other and on the God who loves us and created us. Which takes us to the scene of today's encounter in Luke chapter 4. 
Jesus is, is fresh from his baptism, full of the Holy Spirit. And chapter 4, verse 1 tells us that he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. And for those 40 days in the place of desolation, he's without food. And Scripture tells us in, in something of a massive understatement, he was hungry. And at this moment, in his physical weakness and isolation, it's at this moment that the encounter with the devil occurs. The devil comes himself to tempt him, just as he tempted Adam in the garden, just as he tempted Israel in the wilderness. And make no mistake, friends, at this moment, Jesus is outmatched. Jesus was fully human, just as we are. And the fact that he is also fully God does not mean that this temptation that occurs for him is something of a sham. It's not. The, the scripture tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are. So think of it. Think of the wilderness. Jesus is weak. He's hungry. He's alone and in the wilderness. Adam? Adam was comfortable and well-fed in the garden of paradise where God walked and talked with him. Jesus is in a far more difficult situation than Adam. The devil seems to hold all the cards, and in verse 3, a little bit like Uncle Scar, he confidently moves in to make the kill. Verse 3, If you are the Son of God, Command this stone to become bread. In part, this is, a, this is a suggestion by the devil. Well, if you are the son of God, are you really the son of God? But the deeper part of this temptation is an evil insinuation that God is not really looking after you. Oh, he brought you into the wilderness here for these 40 days. Oh, yeah, he did that, but he's not able to provide for you or he doesn't care to provide for you. Can you hear the temptation? It's exactly the same as that was presented to Israel in the wilderness, isn't it? God led you into the wilderness and he brought you into this howling place and he can't provide for you. So the devil says to Jesus, you can provide for yourself, can't you? You can do better than God can for you. you. You need to look out for you. You've got the power, so do it. You know that you want to. Take control. Turn those stones into bread. Jesus' reply to the devil's temptation is short and sharp. Going directly to Israel's temptation in the wilderness from the book of Deuteronomy, he says this, he quotes, man does not live by bread alone. No man, no, man lives by the word of God. Man rests on God's provision and his goodness. Doing God's will and submitting to him is more important than providing material things for ourselves. Our Father who is in heaven, Jesus will later teach us to pray. Give us our daily bread. So, 
the devil regroups, he takes a different tack this time. In verses 5 to 7, he says this, and, and the devil took him up and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and the glory for it's been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Does the devil really have the power to do this? We can't be sure, but if he didn't have the power to do this, it would have been an empty temptation for Jesus, wouldn't it? It seems that to some extent, at least, the devil genuinely, as the prince of the power of the air, of the prince of this world, he has been delegated the authority in it, and he can do what he promises or what he suggests to Jesus that he will do for him. So he, he offers Jesus an easy way out, a short-circuiting of the process which God had ordained for him, the road that God had called him to walk. He offers a short circuit. He offers a crown, power and dominion without the cross. And in the process, he, he asks Jesus to take for himself dominion and power but leave behind those he came to save, to abandon his mission to save humanity, to leave humanity forever in the chains of the evil one. And he says to him, it's so simple. It's so easy. It's all yours. And Jesus, once again, goes to Holy Scripture, he goes to the book of Deuteronomy, and he simply and sharply quotes, it's written, you shall not worship the Lord your God. Sorry, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The final attack, when it comes, is more subtle still. The devil comes to Jesus, and he opens the Scriptures, and he quotes from the Bible to Jesus. He takes Jesus up to the top of the temple and then he says, jump. And he quotes Psalm 91 to, to say why he should do this. In Psalm 91 he says, because as it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And again from Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says, on their hands, they'll bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. The devil comes to Jesus to tempt him and he quotes Scripture to prove it. And the question is, has he misquoted Scripture? No. The devil has quoted Scripture word for word. So therefore, the devil's quoted Scripture, so what the devil wants Jesus to do must be right and good. And what the devil here is doing is, is quoting Scripture in such a way, out of context way, that he's encouraging Jesus to sin against the God that gave him the good, holy Scriptures. It's What an evil trick this is. I've seen this too many times in ministry. I, I have sat in this church with another pastor as we sat with a husband who was treating his wife terribly and we called him on it and we, we pleaded with him to repent and to have a hope of restoring his marriage. And looking us in the face, he said, wives, submit to your husband in all things as to the Lord. 
Friends, few things are as evil as the twisting of God's words to justify actions that deny his name. This is evil. And it's always the devil's work. And the temptation that the devil presents to Jesus in this moment, using the scripture to to make it alluring, is to do something that will force God to act on his behalf. To put God in a position where he has to respond on his terms, not God's. The devil says, after all, he promised to do it in the Bible, so why not just jump? You know that he'll look after you. The scripture says that he will, but Jesus, once again, will have none of it. For a third time, he goes back to the same passage that the devil quoted from Deuteronomy. And he says, and Jesus answered, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So what's happened in these three temptations in the desert? The devil has come to Jesus with a track record of success. Adam failed, Israel failed, you and I have failed. Now Satan encounters Jesus in a position of asymmetry. Satan has the upper hand and Satan holds all the cards and Satan is smashed. Jesus spectacularly triumphs where Adam and Israel and us have failed so spectacularly. The devil acts as if he's taking on little helpless Simba in the elephant graveyard. Easy prey. And instead he finds himself facing Mustafa. The Lion King. The Lion King who is more than capable of making short work of the hyenas and more than capable of making short work of Scar himself. Jesus came and did what no one else has ever done completely. Lived a sinless and pure life. And when the devil dangled his hook in front of Jesus beautifully baited, perfectly positioned and waited for him to bite. Jesus took that hook and he pulled it out and he stuck it in the devil's eye. Friends, this encounter with Jesus, this encounter where the devil comes to Jesus teaches us some very important things that we need to hear again today. Let me tell you the first one. The first one is this. The devil is real and he is subtle and he is powerful. And he will even quote scripture to you. The devil continues to have great power. Make no mistake. Martin Luther was not wrong when he wrote in his most famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress, these words. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work his woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. On earth is not his equal. The devil is powerful and he's real. Some people have asked me over these past months, is the devil behind the coronavirus? Uh, The very question is a a question that makes some people laugh. Well, is the devil behind the coronavirus? Let me ask you to answer that yourself by maybe asking this question. Does the coronavirus steal? Does it kill? Does it destroy? 
Does the coronavirus distract God's church from its mission on earth? Does it divide brother from brother, sister from sister, mother from daughter? Does it cause fear and division? If the answer is yes, then yes, the coronavirus is from the devil. Yes, he rejoices in what it is doing, in the suffering and death it is causing in our world. Yes, it's the devil's work. The devil's real, and he is powerful, and he is at work in our world. But this encounter, of course, shows us something crucial to remember as we think of this. The devil is powerful, but he's beaten. Yes, he is active. Yes, he is tempting. Yes, he is working his woe, as Martin Luther said, but he is defeated. Now, not just in this passage, in this encounter, we see the devil get a bloody nose. The death blow will come a few years later. To return to the Lion King analogy for a moment, remember Scar's attempt to destroy Simba had failed in the elephant graveyard. But Scar eventually lures Simba into another terrible situation. He's caught in the middle of a a buffalo stampede. And his father, Mustafa, rescues him from death. But it's at the cost of his own life. In rescuing Simba, he is trampled to death. While Scar gloats at his destruction and replaces him as king. So Jesus, the mighty king and the master of Satan, as we see here, in a few years' time, will willingly walk into the trap that Satan has set for him. He will walk on the Via Dolorosa and he will carry the heavy weight and he will go to Golgotha and he will have his body smashed and nails driven through his hands and feet while the devil rejoice and the demons dance for joy. But friends, there's no circle of life here like in the Lion King. This pure and innocent and spotlessly beautiful king will not stay dead. He will not stay dead. Three days later, he will roar out of death into life. And as he does so, he will crush the head of the devil and he will make the way open into freedom and life for all who will come in it. Satan is defeated. Satan is real, but he's defeated. And friends, uh, some of us that I speak to in church, we give Satan way too much credit. It seems that we live our lives as if we're in Kabul in Afghanistan and the Taliban are in the streets and and we come out and we look behind every avenue for what is the devil doing today and, and, and we live in fear and we live as if we're captives waiting to be caught again. Yes, the devil's powerful, but he is on a leash that Jesus Christ has set for him. He can bark ferociously at us, and yes, he can bite, but only to the extent that Jesus gives him the leash. And Jesus himself, in his word, the scriptures has promised us that we will not be tempted beyond what we can endure. And when we are tempted, God our Father will always provide a way out. The devil can tempt you. The devil and his demons will tempt you. But he cannot force you to do anything. 
You're no longer in his power. It's a travesty when a Christian will say, well, the devil made me do it. And we'll focus on, on the devil and his temptations. Oh, I had no choice. I, I had to give in to the addiction. I had to give in to the temptation. No, the Holy Spirit raises you from the dead. And when you encounter the devil in his power, you don't do it like Simba, the, the helpless lion cub. When you encounter the devil, you are in Christ. You are in Mustafa. The devil fears at you. Scripture says that if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. He'll run away from you. you. When you encounter the devil, you encounter him in Christ, who has the victory. So resist the devil. Say no to his baited hook. Say no to that unholy trinity of the world, the flesh, and the devil, which seeks to turn you from your walk with God and your trust in him. But if you have given in, and everyone does from time to time, if you have known what was right and known what was good and what God wanted you to do and chosen something else, remember that Jesus loves you, that Jesus has conquered the devil. Remember that Satan is the, is the accuser in Hebrew. It means the accuser. Satan wants you to stay far away in your misery and your sin. Satan wants to condemn you as he shows you the ways which you have betrayed God and others. But Jesus came to bring you salvation. And he came that you might come close into righteousness and avoid his judgment. Jesus didn't shed his blood on the cross so that you would stay in misery. Jesus didn't shed his blood on the cross so that when you fall short of him, you would then go, I can never come back. He shed his blood on the cross so that no one would pluck you out of his hand. And the Father's arms are wide open. If, if this morning you feel the devil has won in your life, if you feel the devil right now is having victories in your life, if you feel that you've hurt those around you because of it and you've destroyed your witness and your trust and your, and your testimony to the world in which you live, Jesus would say to you, I've beaten the devil and my blood is poured out for you. The way is open. Come back to me soon. Come back to me quickly. Come back to me now. Leave the filth of the pig pen. Come home to your father's house. But it's also true, isn't it, that other Christians behave as if the devil doesn't exist. If he's not real, if it's just like a He's just kind of a figure of imagination that we see in the Bible and how the, the devil must smile at those of us who live like that. Do, do we not know that in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, take up the shield of faith. Why take up the shield of faith? Because with it you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. That's why he says, did you hear that? Flaming arrows of the evil one. Some Christians live in the world as if evil is not a reality, consummate impersonated evil in the form of the devil who is not seeking to destroy us. He's not shooting flaming arrows at us. Our battle, the Bible says, is not primarily against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood, for example, that can be destroyed by something like the coronavirus. Our battle is primarily against the principalities and the powers, the forces of evil in the heavenly places. And this is a real and deadly battle. If you take the devil lightly, you make yourself vulnerable to his attack. Well, you say, well, how would I take the devil lightly? 
I tell you how you take him lightly, by not taking up the armor and the, warf- the weapons of the warfare that you've been given to you. Well, well how, how, what would that look like? Well, what is your prime weapon in this war in which we are all living? This war of temptation? This war with the highest stakes? What, what's the, the greatest weapon that we have? I believe throughout Scripture the greatest weapon we have is prayer. So let me ask you, are you taking up your weapons of warfare? And you can read the list in Ephesians 6, but primarily among them, have you taken up the access and the privilege you have to stand under the shield of God in prayer? Are you prayerful? And you say, oh, Andrew, you're going to guilt me again. This is the easiest guilt trip in the world, isn't it? Pray more, pray more. No, that's not what I'm trying to do, but what I am trying to do is to ask you, are you taking the devil seriously? And if your answer to me is yes, then I will say, well, how is your prayer life going? Do you, do you make the effort day by day to come into the privacy of your room with no one watching to come to God in prayer, to ask God to help you in temptations, to ask for God's presence and his, and his love to overwhelm you day by day, to protect you from the evil one? as it says in the Lord's Prayer. And, and do you pray? We have prayer meetings once a month. Is that something you prioritize to be at if you can? To pray with God's people. There are weekly morning prayers at Thursday. Is that something you pray with? Do you pray with yourself and with others? If you truly believe in the power of, of the devil and his supernatural reality, then the most, the, the most clear-cut action you will take supernaturally is you will pray. Because it is in praying that the truth of our being united with Christ is made real to us. It is in praying that we depend and cast our cares upon him. It's in praying that, that we come and recognize that the devil outmatches us, but that we are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, when we have prayed and trusted, we go out into the world as what we are, more than conquerors. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. So do you pray? Do you pray for our church's unity? Do you pray for the peace and unity of your family? Do you pray for our world that Satan would be bound and that, that God would triumph? Do you pray? Do you pray? So remember that while Satan has the power and has great power and sway in this world in which we live, and that while he is surely laughing right now and rejoicing in COVID-19, its impact, the fear it causes, the division that that flows from it, while he's obviously rightly rejoicing in that, while he must rejoice over so much of our, of our Western culture and the way we've turned our back on the God who has blessed us so much, while he must laugh at our foolishness and our, our shallowness and our stupidity as we dabble in temptations in which, which we have no part to dabble in and which bring us only harm and hurt. Well, remember these things Remember that God also says that he will use whatever the devil means for evil for good. 
God stands in sovereignty over the devil. He can only do what he is given. He can only operate within the sphere that Almighty God gives to him. And we know that all things, even coronavirus, even that encounter in the the wilderness with Jesus, even the cross, which seemed the greatest defeat, all of them are used and ordained by God for his glory and his good. Satan's days are numbered. Jesus has dealt the death blow. And very soon, Satan will enter forever into rigor mortis. Well, let me close by reminding you of of the one wonderful truth, which is the thing I think and hope that you've got from our time together in God's Word this morning. And it's this. Jesus encountered the devil so that you would never have to. And you say, well, Andrew, you know, but you've just been teaching about the devil's encountering us and his temptation. Jesus encountered the devil that you would never have to. And what I mean by that is that, yes, you live now in a, in a tension in a world where he is active and where he is powerful and where he's subtle. But Jesus encountered the devil once and for all that you would never have to. And what I mean by that is that you would never have to encounter him on that day, on the day of final judgment, on the day when Jesus says, those who have been saved by his blood and have been brought into relationship with him will go to be with his Father in paradise in heaven and all those who have refused, all those who have chosen for themselves to be apart from God will inherit the seeds that they have sown and they will encounter the devil. Not just in a moment, but for all eternity. Steal, kill, destroy. Jesus Christ encountered the devil that you and I would never have to. Jesus Christ encountered the devil that you never will need to. Revelation 5.5 says these words. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. He has conquered. Jesus Christ has the victory, and if you are in him, you will never encounter the devil. But you will encounter God in his rich love and mercy, protection and peace. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that his encounter with the devil in this passage in Luke and finally in the triumph of the cross means that we never will have to encounter him. That in Christ, we are forgiven. In Christ, he has no power or authority in our lives. In Christ, we are given the fullness of the Holy Spirit, which raised Jesus from the dead. In Christ, we are given victory in this life and triumph with him for all eternity. We thank you, Jesus Christ, that all glory and honor and power and might are worthy, worthy, worthy are you, Lord. All is yours. And we pray 
that this week, as we live in a world of division, as we live in a world where the devil is active, that our focus and our attention, our prayers and our devotion would be centered on Christ, resurrected, alive and coming soon. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.